Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Get Heard podcast. My guest today is Amanda Huffman, founder of the Women of the Military podcast, also has a blog at airmentomom.com. So talk about a lot of great stuff here revolving mostly around mentorship and servant leadership. Do want to give you a heads up? There was an internet outage during our podcast recording on Zencaster. So at about the five minute mark, you might hear the sound quality change or just a little bit of kind of different sounds from that point onward. And I try to edit it as best as I can, but just wanted to let you know that that's there. Again, if you've liked these podcasts so far, I would love it if you jumped online at getheardpodcast.com. And if you could share this podcast with your friends who are just as interested in in leadership as you and I are. So again, thank you so much for checking out this podcast. Hope you enjoy this episode with Amanda Huffman. Everybody, welcome to the Get Heard podcast. I have Amanda Huffman here as my guest. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for hopping on here. And just before the show, her and I were talking about our kids and the time we're recording this is a little later. And I know I'm used to staying up, even though it's pretty embarrassing to admit it's 9.03 here and it's later than I'm used to staying up. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on the show uh, at this time of night. And why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, uh, just a little bit about you, where you're from and what you're doing right now. I am an Air Force veteran and a military spouse. I served in the Air Force for six years And when my first son was born, I decided to get out of the military and be a stay-at-home mom and military spouse. And through that transition, I started a blog, which was Airman to Mom. And then this past January, I started a podcast called Women of the Military, where I interview women and collect their stories of what it's like to be in the military. And I really enjoyed my time in the Air Force But with my husband also being active duty, it was just too complicated for us both to stay in, but it wasn't easy to walk away from the military. And I'm really thankful that I found the podcast and my blog has started to gain some traction and give me something to do outside of being a mom. And it's been really a cool, it's been a really cool last year for sure. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Again, thank you for your service very much and for your husband's service. Of course, thank you so much. Only a very small percentage of Americans sign up and volunteer to do that stuff. So again, bottom of my heart to you and your husband. Thank you so much. Thank you. With this podcast being themed around leadership and public speaking, when you and I talked briefly before Something that is important to you and you wanted to discuss and is important to me currently in my role is servant leadership. So can you just kind of go into what does that mean to you? Why is it important? And just take the ball and run run with it if you'd like here. Yeah, I think it's really important that we're always thinking about how we can serve others and how we can reach out to others. And I've been in a lot of different groups for blogging and entrepreneurship. And I've seen a lot of people who are like 
link droppers is what I call them, where they like drop their links, but then they don't interact or engage or even follow the rules of what the post is. And that kind of puts like a sour taste in my mouth where people are, they're asking for you to do stuff, but then they're not willing to do what they're supposed to do or even like go above and beyond and show that they're really going to take the time to invest in you. And I think especially when you're first starting out as an entrepreneur, that you need to be willing to go the extra mile to help someone because I've found that the people who have helped me are, they don't have to do it and I'm so grateful. And then when I can help them, it really fills me up. And so I think that if you have a mindset where you're trying to give, 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 that it comes back in such a positive way that you can't you can't make it happen in any other way without being a servant first. Yeah, a servant leadership, the way I look at it is, you know, when you're starting in your career, whether it's the military, civilian world, as many of the listeners are, and you don't have responsibility over other people, you're, we'll just call it, lack of a better term, a worker bee. You're just focused solely about yourself and getting the job assigned to you done and complete. Whereas when you're a leader or a manager, really your job is to put the needs of everybody else before your own. And I think servant leadership is a good term to kind of encompass that feel. Yeah, for sure. And I think that the people who work under you can see that I think it's really easy to see right through what kind of leader you have. And then that affects how the people below you are going to work. Because if they know that you're like behind them and you're serving them as you're leading them, they'll probably do anything and everything to try and make the military would say the mission succeed. But that's, I think that's an important part is that it's not just for you and like your growth, but it also affects the people that work below you. And your military experience and you're just from some observations you've made in your civilian experience as a mom or just civilian, what are, what are some examples of things that you've seen to indicate a person is not a servant leader? Maybe like some, some horror stories of terrible leadership that you've seen? My first commander was very concerned about what he looked like and how he was viewed by other people. And he tried to tell me once that he tries to, like, introduce people. Like, he introduced me to the general once and, like, told me how important it was that he did it. But it was almost like he did it to like promote himself and so it came off as like he was saying he was doing the right thing but then it just didn't his actions and his follow-through and the way that he treated people didn't line up with what he was telling me and I remember one time being in a staff meeting and all the officers OPRs which is their performance reports were like six months or more overdue and he was in the meeting yelling at the enlisted troops because they weren't on top of their performance reports. And I just was like sitting there as a second lieutenant was like, how can you yell at these people when you're not doing it yourself? And it was just, he just like 
was two different people. Like what he said at one time and then the way he acted just didn't line up. And it was really hard to like want to do things for him because you knew that it wasn't a good, he just wasn't a good leader. He was just in it for himself and not for the people. Yeah, there. I've noticed there are a lot of people who are just concerned about their evaluations and progressing through the organization. And that's such a shame because, especially at that level, the amount of influence or impact that you can have over your employees or subordinates' life is just so huge. I mean, if you really took a step back and got away from being self-centered and egotistical, I mean, you could have just such a huge impact and really change some of these people's lives for the better. And the commander who followed him was like the exact opposite. He like, we did, he had the lieutenants over to his house like at least once a month and he would do like office calls every Friday and he was always worried about mentoring us and pushing us into the right direction and he supported everything we did and the things that we wanted to do and he was just such a good leader and he had young kids but he made it so that his work schedule was that he would leave at five every day but then he would go home, spend from like five to eight with his kids. And then he would work in the evening. So we'd get emails at like midnight or whatever. But he was committed to us as young officers, but then he was also committed to his family. And it was really cool how he balanced both of those things. And you could see that that was really what was important. And he was able to make it work. Even having a busy schedule, he was still able to show how important it was to spend time with family and how important he thought it was for us to spend time with our families. And just, I really appreciated how different his leadership style was. And it was interesting that it was like back-to-back commanders and they were like opposite people. That is a pretty unique and oftentimes good thing about the military is that there is a fairly decent rate of changeover. So if you do have an extremely terrible leader, You know, there's a good chance if you stick around long enough or if you don't move to another duty station somewhere else, you'll see a different leader. And it's a great opportunity to be able to compare maybe a good and bad leader or two different kind of breeds of good leaders or hopefully not, but two different kinds of terrible leaders. But, yeah, a lot of a lot of good stuff there. And I really like what you said about mentorship and if you're a servant leader, you should really be a, a good and influential mentor to those under you. Because like I said, you can really do a lot of good. So what are what are some of the mentoring techniques or what are some of the, the things that you've had mentors do to you and for you throughout your career that you appreciated and thought were effective? Well, for the second commander, I got tasked on a deployment with the army when I was a second lieutenant in the air force. Oh, I guess I was the first lieutenant. And he gave me the option because one of the other lieutenants wanted to take my place. And it was kind of a dangerous mission. We were going to be attached to an infantry unit. And he gave me the option on if I would let this lieutenant take my place or if I would go. And the lieutenant had an injury so it wasn't really a good fit for him to go and that was why I was picked to go instead 
and he left it up to me and told me it was my decision. And then when I made the decision that I was going to go on the deployment, he told me how proud he was of me. And it just stuck with me the whole deployment because before I left, he told me that the chasm always looks bigger, but if you jump, it's not that far. And I was not (laughs) planning on going on an army deployment when I joined the Air Force. And so there were a lot of things that I had to do that I never had expected that I would be doing. And so I would just jump. And he was right. It wasn't that far. I could do it. And those words of mentorship and the belief in me that he showed really helped me get through that nine-month deployment doing something I never expected I would be doing. But uh, yeah, so I think that's very, that's a pretty good example of a mentor. And are, are you still in contact with him today, even though you're out of the service? Yes, mainly just on LinkedIn. But we have, I mean, we've talked every once in a while back and forth. Oh, that's good. I mean, it just shows the power of like a solid and effective mentor. I mean, he really, it seems like he had your best interests in, in his mind and, and foresight the whole time. Yeah, and the crazy thing was, like, he did it for all, like, I think there were six lieutenants and probably young captains that to all, like, CGO's company grade officers, and he invested in all of us the same way. I didn't feel like there was a favorite or, like, he picked different people and then he ignored, like, he really wanted all of us to succeed, and he did such a good job of making sure that we all knew that we could do anything we wanted. We just had, and we had his support. Are there any other kind of leadership lessons that he, he taught you and the group through his mentorship that you still keep with you today? I think he taught me that like giving back and how important it is. And he really wanted to make an impact on us as lieutenants and young captains and like chart our Air Force course in the right direction. And I've started to mentor young ladies who are looking to join the military or or are looking to transition out of the military because I'm a little bit ahead in, you know, my life. And so I can give back to them. And I've been really passionate to help women who are getting out of the service to be prepared for what's coming. And I think that it a lot goes back to like what his what he taught me was that I learned something I want to give it to you and so that's what I've been trying to pass on to people who are a little bit farther behind me through mentorship like one-on-one mentorship and then through the podcast what are some of the common themes if you will of of advice or mentorship that you seem to give to these women most of the time like are there is there a core maybe four or five things that you kind of find yourself mentoring these women with or is it really diverse and all over the place I think everyone's experience is a little bit different but I think the military doesn't do a good job of explaining like the emotional connection to service that you have and how the military kind of really changed your whole life For me, I did four years of ROTC in college, which is the Reserve Officer Training Corps program, and then six years of military service, which included a year deployment to Afghanistan. And so 
the military had a huge impact on who I was and who I became through all of those experiences. And when I left, I like lost my identity and really struggled and I felt blindsided by that. So that's like my biggest advice to people who are getting out of the military is to realize the emotional attachment that's coming and like the military's pushing you like get a job get a job and they're really just trying to fill the void that leaving the military causes but if you don't deal with the emotion I kind of say it's like deal with grieving the loss of your active duty status or your military rank or whatever you're most connected to and I think that I just try and talk to them about like the emotions of what's coming and let them know like what my experience was so that they're better prepared and not blindsided by what's coming. Yeah, those are great points. And I mean, my wife went through something, I mean, very, very similar to what you're mentioning right now. I don't want to speak for her, but she did ROTC like I did and got out after her for your commitment and Again, I don't want to speak for her, but I know she feels this way. She kind of did have that void after a little bit, after kind of reality set in. Uh, you know what? Like, what is there? I have, even though I might have hated it more than I liked it, which is very true for a lot of people, but there is that emotional attachment to being in the service room, regardless Army, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard. But yeah, I mean, that you, you bring up such a good point, and... I mean, in, in her situation, you know, it's okay to just be a mom. And we have three awesome kids who are a handful, 95% of the time. But I mean, it's okay to be a mom and, and take on that leadership role in the family like that. Yeah. And for me, as like, I do have my podcast, but I have a really strict like work-life balance where I'm trying to stay focused on my kids because I know they're only going to be little and I really am a stay-at-home mom and I have like a business on the side and being a stay-at-home mom is like my number one priority. I want to be here for my kids and to be that constant especially with my husband's job where he travels a lot and like he's not home all the time so I need to be able to focus on them and take time to talk about like how they're feeling and it's really important I think to moms are so important and sometimes they don't get the credit that they deserve for all the work that they have to do I I would say probably the overwhelming majority of the time moms do not get the credit that they deserve for the you know the things that they deal with and the and just everything I mean I get frustrated at my kids sometimes because they're kids, you know, and it's just natural. And the good Lord did not bless me with the patience, which he blessed my wife with. But I mean, the stuff that she deals with, just everything around the house and our three little rascals running around, like, man, it's like, I can't tell her thank you enough. So, I mean, I I don't want to speak for your husband, but, you know, him being deployed and you being at home with the kids, I mean, just from an active duty service member to like all the spouses out there, like we appreciate it. We don't say it enough as we should. I probably speak for the overwhelming majority of active duty service members out there, but to all the spouses out there who stay home and take care of the kids and everything else. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Even though we don't say it enough. I think we just forget to say 
thank you. And it's just kind of like, oh, well, that's what you do. So then we don't talk about it. But. Right. But I mean, it is such an important role. And I mean, the leadership that you are providing to your kids, my wife is providing to our kids, is very important because that such the young ages that they're at currently, I mean, that has such a profound impact on like the development that they're going to take with them for the rest of their lives. What else about servant leadership? I mean, you had like a, a ton of good stories, anything, maybe any other bad experiences that you've had? Cause those are, those are tend to be the, <laughs> the more hilarious or, or fun war stories to talk about. I mean, I talked about my first commander and just how he wasn't a good boss. And then when I was deployed, our commander actually got fired because he was really bad. <laughs> um, and it was it his, the way that the commander, while we were deployed, his main downfall was, I don't remember, he just wasn't a good guy. And he was like very arrogant and he didn't take care of the people and it like it wrecked the morale for the whole team and it made it even harder because we were in a combat zone and I just remember that when when we were at training like he was so bad that we knew while we were at the combat skills training that this was not going to be a good leadership situation and we voiced our concerns up to like the higher ups at the army base that we were at and they decided that the best thing that we should do is have like a come to Jesus meeting where we like told him how we felt and then he would change into a better leader. I don't really understand their philosophy, which I mean, he did change into a better leader for like the two weeks that we were left in Indiana. And then we got to Afghanistan and he went back to normal, but I was really upset with that experience because one of the guys at the end told me, well, you guys just needed to tell him and now everything's going to be okay. And then like six months later, he ended up getting fired and replaced. And it was like, why don't you listen to us when we told you there was something wrong? If every person on the team says this isn't a good person to be leading us, then the leadership should have listened to the people and not... I think there was a lot of rank stuff going on that I don't really know about. But that was really that was really hard to have a leader who was really bad. And then when he got fired, we got yelled at by a colonel because we didn't do enough to support him as a commander. And so it was just a bunch of like drama. <laughs> I haven't talked about that in a long time. <laughs> but he he it was just hard because it was like not only was he a bad leader, but then that all the other leaders that were connected who could have helped fix the situation also made it bad. And so it was just it was just overall a bad situation. And our new commander came in and he was a lot better. It just was unfortunate because it was like two or three months from the end of the deployment. We just wanted to go home and it made it really hard to get through that deployment. That uh, I guess, I suppose that you eventually get so far in your career as a leader where you just become set in your ways. And maybe, do you think it was that he didn't know what he was doing and like the mistakes he was making? Or 
maybe that he knew and he just didn't care. I mean, I think he had to know because, like, we really did have, like, all the senior NCOs, E7 and above, and the all the officers met with him, and we all told him how his leadership made us feel. And, I mean, I cried at it because <laughs> I was really upset about, like, some of the stuff that had happened, and I wasn't the only one who cried. And so, like, it wasn't just, like, we told him how we felt and it was, like, superficial, like, it was, you need to tell him how you feel. That's what, like, we were ordered to do. And so I told him, like, how it made me feel and how upset I was about what had happened. And he he can't say that he didn't know because, like, we really did. We were honest and told him exactly, like, what he was doing. And he really, for the, like, two weeks we were there, he acted the way he was supposed to. And then once we got in country and those people weren't, right there watching him he went back to the way he was so I think he just was trying to manipulate the situation while we were over while we were still stateside and then when he was in Afghanistan he was like well no one's watching me I can go back to the way I was because it wasn't like it took months for it to wear off it was like once we were in Afghanistan it was back to the way it was so he knew uh, he, he knew he was maybe not effective or knew that he was wrong in a sense, but didn't care because maybe I I assume this person had a a large ego. Yes. I I mean, we met up with him after he got fired. We saw him on Bagram when we were, I think we were out processing and getting ready to go home. And he was telling us about like the new job he had. And he didn't even seem phased by the fact that he had gotten fired. We were like, you know, you, got fired but he was talking about like how great whatever job he was doing and how important he was and it was just like yeah he had a very big ego interesting so maybe i mean i've seen people who have such big egos that they 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 fail to see like when they they get disciplined or even fired in in some cases that they just think that you know maybe they're rewarded and being moved on to something bigger and better and it sounds like this guy Maybe he didn't realize he got fired. He Maybe he just thought he was, you know, oh, yeah, I, I knocked my command out of the park, so I got put on to this more important position or something. But I, I wouldn't be surprised. There's a lot of egomaniacs out there. Yeah, it was really weird. <laughs> really bizarre. I would think, I like to think I have enough self-awareness that if I got fired from one of my jobs, I would, like, it would sink into my head and I would understand what's going on. But, I mean. Yeah. Well, it was kind of like the culture, like when the colonel yelled at us and told us it was our fault that he got fired, it was like, but he's the commander. <laughs> like, it's not our fault that he's not doing his job. So, yeah. Right. And I mean, what what year or what time frame was this roughly? I deployed in 2010. 2010. So, geez, almost a decade. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a decade. Wow. For 10 years. Holy crap. And I can tell you now days at least in the military but that we have what are called like command climate surveys and there are so many organizations to to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen like just as a commander right now i just had to send out my first command climate survey where it gives the soldiers the opportunity to say how they feel about the climate of our company and air any grievances and stuff like that but 
I mean, despite all those things and resources that there are in the military, at least the army, there are still terrible, egotistical commanders out there who get away with it and go on to have long and, one would argue, prosperous careers. I think that's the way it is in, like, all organizations, unfortunately. Yeah, so I don't think it is just specific to the military, but I think maybe the military has more so than the civilian world. But, I mean, in the civilian world, I've seen the same thing. There's people at the very top who got there by just looking out for themselves and themselves only and put, you know, pushed everybody else out of the way or stabbed others in the back just to, to get ahead in life and in their careers. And, and that's a shame. And even more, what, what is even more a shame is that the others in that organization who are promoting this person don't see that and allow it to happen. Right. So what else about servant leadership do you think is important? You know, as a, as a young officer in the Air Force, what did you do to be a servant leader to your subordinates? So I had airmen that worked for me, and I really tried to, like, have it be a team effort. And I remember one thing that uh, there was another lieutenant that worked with me, and one thing we did was we decided that on Fridays once a month we would do, like, waffle day, and so he and I would bring in, like, waffle makers and waffle mix and, like, just have, like, an hour where after we did PT in the morning, which is physical training or working out, we would come back from, like, taking our showers and then we would eat breakfast all together as a team. And I think the airmen really liked it. At least I really liked it. I thought it was really fun and a good way to, like, build the team uh the team environment and able to talk about like what's going on. And we did a lot of like crazy things like that where we would, sometimes we would leave the base and go and get breakfast. And (laughs) I don't know how we got away with some of the stuff we did, but we had a lot of fun just getting to know each other on a personal level and still being professional. Cause obviously officers and enlisted, you still have to have that professional line, but we were able to, work better together because we knew each other's strengths and weaknesses and we knew a little bit about what each what each person had going on in their lives and so one of my airmen I remember he broke up with his girlfriend and he was like absolutely crushed and we were concerned that he might commit suicide and so we because we knew everything, like we knew so much of like what was going on in his personal life, we were able to keep close tabs on him and get him the help that he needed so that he didn't become a statistic. And I think having that relationship among all the people and being a team so that we knew there was something wrong. We knew that he normally wasn't ever late for work. He normally didn't do this or that. And so we were able to quickly catch that, make sure he knew that he had people he could call for support. And we were able to make sure that he was okay. And he is, he's still alive today, which I think is really important because it was really scary because at one point we couldn't get a hold of him and we were trying to find him and figure out where he was. And I think the fact that he knew that even though he wasn't answering his phone, that people were calling him and trying to find him, I think that had a big impact. 
that's a great example of good servant leadership. I mean, really putting his needs before your own, perhaps. And, you know, if you build a tight-knit team and really get to know everybody on your team well, you'll be able to kind of catch those changes in behavior, especially if there's, you know, a significant life event like breaking up with a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, or something like that. So that, that's awesome that you you and the team were kind of able to to help out that airman and get him the help he needed and, you know, get him back on the path to recovery. Any, are there any things that you did when mentoring other officers who were more junior to you or any of your NCOs throughout your career that you kind of found effective? I don't feel like I was in long enough because well, when I got back from Afghanistan, I went to a higher headquarters. So I was like the lowest ranking person by far. I only got stationed there because my husband was there doing whatever he was doing. And so it, I didn't really get a lot of time where I got to like mentor people who I did it with the young airmen when I was first at Holloman, but then I never really had that opportunity because I got out after six years and like my last two years, or I guess my last three years I was deployed and then I came home and then I went to the headquarters. And so I didn't really do any real mentorships. I was definitely, I was like junior ranking all the way. Everyone was like senior captain and I was about to pin on captain. It was kind of a unique situation. Uh, sticking with mentoring, any other, just aside from what you mentioned earlier about that second commander who had that good, meaningful impact on your life and career, any other things that he did or maybe other officers did that you observed in your career that were effective? Well, I had a really good senior NCO when I was deployed, and he was really good at saying, hey, LT, I think you should listen to me. And he was never like, he never told me what to do, but he always would be like, hey, I think you should listen to me. And then he would let me do whatever I would do. And he was just really good at giving me like solid advice and having that where he's, I mean, he was an E7 and I was a first lieutenant. So he had lots more years of experience. And so it was smart for me to listen to what he had to say. But he always made me feel empowered in what my decisions were. And I felt like he was a really good, not, I guess he was a leader, but not a leader in the same way. But he always took really good care of me and the other, the captain that I was with in telling us like, hey, you guys, I think you should reconsider or you should redirect this way, but always giving us the ability to make the final decision and be the officers. And I feel like he was a servant leader because he he could have let us just been like, oh, whatever. They could do whatever they want, but he really always had our backs and always was watching out for us and made sure that we made that we had his advice and were able to make the best decisions while we were overseas. 
you made a good point, Amanda, and I've seen this a lot too, but mentoring doesn't just have to be from the top down. You gave a great example of kind of the a bottom-up method of mentoring someone who, although is you outrank or have more authority over, this person was able to use his years of experience and just knowledge that he possessed from being in the service longer than you were and just being a non-commissioned officer to, to teach you some things and give you some good advice when, you know, I, I remember being the junior officer, you just don't know what you don't know. It's not that you're stupid or anything by any means, because we're not, but we just are new and we don't know what's out there. We don't know the possible solutions that exist for problems. So yeah, mentorship, like you just kind of laid out, can be from the bottom up also. It's a great story. Yeah, it's so true. And there were so many NCOs that helped me as a lieutenant who didn't know what I didn't know. And they just were like, here, let's point you in the right direction. And I'm so thankful for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know I am, and especially right now, my first sergeant has been in the Army for 18 years. And his advice and his counsel is absolutely invaluable. And I always take into consideration when making decisions because he has, if there's anything that's going to come across in my purview that I have to deal with, he's probably seen it before, which is awesome. And he can give me his two cents and advise me. And yes, I mean, he, he mentors me all the time. And I like to think that I mentor him also, but I'll let him be the judge of that. So yeah, it can definitely go from the top, from the leader down, or from you know, a more seasoned NCO or employee, if it's a civilian organization, up to the supervisor or manager. Awesome stuff. Well, is there, is there anything else about servant leadership you want to hit on before we wrap it up here? I think we talked about a lot of good stuff, but I just wanted to open the floor to anything else you wanted to mention. I just would say I would encourage people to like not let imposter syndrome or feeling like they're not qualified to be a mentor. I I really felt like I couldn't be a mentor because I didn't have anything to offer when I like had been blogging for a few years because I felt like, oh, I don't have a big enough audience. Oh, I don't do this. I don't do that. But I had gathered a lot of information and people actually... <laughs> Now, sometimes they ask me, and in the past, they would ask me, like, will you mentor me? And I was like, oh, you think I'm qualified to give you advice? And I've always found that mentorship, like, partnerships with people where you're mentoring them, you gain more than you give. It sometimes feels like if you give up an hour of your time, like, maybe you're going to have to sacrifice and but you always get so much more back and learn from the people that you're mentoring. It's not like a give and get nothing back and not that you do it to get something, but I feel like I've learned so much from sharing what I've learned that it's super rewarding. And I don't think you should ever doubt that you can mentor someone. There's always someone a few steps behind you that you can help in their journey and they can help you. 
Yeah, you're so right. There's absolutely no prerequisites or advanced degrees required to be a mentor. I think simply the only requirement is that you have to care and you have to be willing to put someone else's needs before yourself. That's it out there. So if you're listening and you don't think that you have what it takes to be a mentor or you just have some some ridiculous image of what a, a mentor should be, we are here to tell you that that's not the case. You just need to care about what someone else is doing about someone else and ask that person what you can do for him or her. That's all you got to do. Right, Amanda? Yep, that's exactly right. All right. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, especially way past my bedtime. I thank you so much for being here. But uh, again, where can listeners find you, find your blog and your podcast? My blog is www.airmentomom.com. And you can find the podcast is Women of the Military on your favorite podcast app. Awesome. Well, again, Amanda, thank you so much. And everybody check out her blog and her podcast. And yeah, I think we had a great conversation. Again, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen to your podcast. I'm also available at getheardpodcast.com. And my brand new email for this podcast is up. And that is ian, I-A-N, at getheardpodcast.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you later.